Hallo, ich bin Fälte Griele auf Gaelic Song Stories und bin gruhlich für den Bimische, der die Griemach und die Zuhler in der Skielachen in Kuhl auf den Ohren. Hallo und ein sehr warm Willkommen zu den letzten in dieser Serie von Gaelic Song Stories mit mir, der die Griem. In this final episode, I'm going home and going back to my childhood, revisiting songs not only from my local area, but from the very source that steeped me in them. For today, I am proud to share with you a special conversation that I had with my mother, Kirstine Graham. Kirstine was brought up in a girl household in Edinburgh. Her father, my grandpa Callum, was born in Varkasig in Skye, where his father was the keeper or shepherd. And her mother, my Granny Ruth, had close links to Lemroy in Lewis. Although she didn't have Gaelic growing up, Kirstine always had a fascination for the language, for she used to hear her father and his friends conversing in it, enjoying great Kayleys in the house when she was young. This curiosity resulted in her joining a Gaelic choir in Edinburgh, led by Ethel Basson, who had been a singing teacher in Skye and was in school with Grandpa Callum, and who also wrote the book The Old Songs of Skye, Frances Tolmy and Her Circle. As a ten-year-old, she was aware that she was learning songs that you didn't usually hear at a Maud or at a Cayley, and she would then spend hours in the library on George the Fourth Bridge to find more verses to some of the songs that Ethel Basson had given her. Christine moved up to Dunvegan in Skye in the 1970s, which at that time had a vibrant music scene and was a magnet for musicians. There would be a dance in the hall or music in one of the hotels three or four nights a week in the high season, and she would sing with a dance band alongside well-known Sky musicians Ian Cordovox, Alistair Henderson, John Matheson and Pop Campbell, among others. Mainly on Sky, although sometimes they got to the mainland. Kirstine quickly became involved in the local tuition festival Feishinyarich when it began over 30 years ago and she was the chair from 1997 to 2019. She was also the singing tutor for the Gaelic medium schools in Skye for 24 years and she recalls them as lie and sauna or happy days. Over those years, she tutored hundreds of pupils in Gaelic songs and their stories. I vividly remember my song sheets were covered in her drawings that brought the stories to life. Her ability to create plays that would weave songs together sparked my imagination and compelled me to learn more. Mum was awarded the Skynlochalsh Community Award in 2014 and she was inducted into the MG Alipa Scots Trad Music Awards Hall of Fame for services to the community in 2015. As one ex-pupil of hers recently told me, everyone has a Mrs Graham story. And today we're going to hear some of those stories that enchanted me as a child. Well, hello, Mum. <laughs> hello, Anian. This reminds me of primary school when I didn't know what to call you. Who? <laughs> Mrs McMammy. Mrs McMammy. <laughs> Well, hello, Mum, or hello, Kirstine. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk with me this evening. And uh, I'm really looking forward to exploring a couple of the songs that are local to this area, but also songs that we both hold dearly, I would say, that, well, <laughs> you're pulling your face. Definitely songs that were very uh, imprinted on my childhood through you teaching them in the schools? Yes, and it, there's songs that maybe shouldn't be encouraged because these songs bring in stories of witchcraft. And I believe that these are true stories and that a... And I certainly know that there were some very odd goings on. I don't know that they shouldn't be encouraged. I think that, you know, any kind of sinister side to that went right over our heads when we were younger. And actually rediscovering them again as a molder is quite fascinating because the stories that we're going to go into today are, um, they're quite gripping. The first one 
What I love about this one is it's it's gruesome and I hadn't realised the full story behind it until recently you sent me through um, a whole um, background information on it. But it's uh, the other reason I love it is it's just across the water from the house so you can actually see where it's located. We're sitting at home just now and what? We are. What do you mean we're not? No, you're thinking of the new Corrie Lodge that oh. was built in 1790. I always get the Corries mixed up. Aha, uh-huh. and that is the very elegant house. But the McKinnons, and the McKinnons were a very, very important clan in Skye, especially South Skye. In fact, I only read today that the McKinnons were in Skye long before the McDonald's ever put foot on the... Oh, really? On Sky. Oh, wow, Uh okay. I've just noticed that as I was uh, running through some Mm -hmm. McKinnon lore just now. A very, very important clan and, well, you know how many McKinnons there are in Sky. Yeah. Especially in the South End, but but all over. The Corrie Lodge, Corrie Chatechen, it's, you'll remember Don John the Vet. Yeah. Well, that was where the the house was. That that was the big house? That was the big house. Okay. And that... So it's old Corrie, below Bainakali. Yes. Okay. And you looking round there, you can see that there was a sizable settlement. There's lots of just even well under the grass Tothikin, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that there was a really big, big village there for many, many hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. There's also stone circles there. Oh, wow. And which is pre-Christianity. Mm-hmm. And also the high pasture cave that the archaeologists uh, were digging over the last 15 to 20 years. Where oh, they, yeah. And there's a lot of fancy, fascinating stuff in the Strath. Okay. So, Shem Strath Inigain. Strath Inigain, so the Strath of, Strath of the McKinnons. Right, okay. This, the original name. And Strath is the parish name for the whole of South South Sky, except for the Slate. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's yeah, all so the way for from and... probably from Lube. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lube yes. Down to, uh, down, down to Kailakan is okay. all parish of Strath. So, Ferrachora then. So there's a great, there's a real, and it's played as a, it's often played as a tune, like a fiddle tune as well. But the, the song, the real, tells a story of a, a grumpy old man. Yes, not a very nice character. Um, uh, he was obviously well off, had mm-hmm. a very fine house. And one of the lines in the song about him says that he just he just spoils everything. Um, and he does things be, just because he can. <laughs> right. It says, And then he said, So he was obviously a womanizer as well. Okay, but so I don't could. think he got far because they were running him <laughs> down because he was wee and bald and <laughs> he hid it with a fancy no offence to we or bald people at all <laughs> no, not we at need to all. put that disclaimer in but yes but I don't think he was a very nice man no he was renowned for being for mistreating his tenants um, and uh, the first verse as well mm-hmm. uh, the man of Cory was Wild or angry, and Danera is um, grumpy and it's stubborn. No, it's, it's sort of fierce and as yeah. well. Danera, that's this is the song that actually in uni, when I was in a band, uh, my 
first or second year band in uni. That's where we got the name Thanra from. That's right. <laughs> Not that it represented us as you were fierce and stubborn. And fi- and <laughs> but we were bold, bold and fierce. Yes. Um, he obviously had lots of money because he abandoned, uh, in the late 18th century, mm. he abandoned this this lovely historical house and it was just left to rack and ruin. Mm-hmm. The, the walls are still standing. You can see how substantial they were. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's in the m- middle of a midden because the cows are all around <laughs> it. But it's a, it, you can see what a, a good house it was. And he built three other, Whitlago Whit- County, no, two two other houses for himself. One of them being at Camisunary. So Down at the bay? Mm-hmm. You'd climb up the shoulder of uh-huh, Blavin yeah. uh-huh. and you go down there. And the big house there, it said, because it says, Rainyatayan Lurus, Rainyatayan Nimagach, Rainyatayan Lurus, Sveril and Camusunari. So he made a house in Liveris. Liveris, yes. As Where's Liveris again in Broadford? Uh, along the front of Broadford towards the pier. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Liveris. And it's something to do with um, a plague thing. A pandemic, it must have been. Oh, not uh, another one. <laughs> <laughs> from long ago. And it, probably because they, it would have been easier to get about from these places because Corifatahina uh, wasn't, wasn't on, wasn't the, on shore. water, of no, course, and good at river. that time. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> but at that time, of course, the, the boats, that was your main kind of the, mode the of main, transport, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So he had a house in Liveris, a house in Camsionary, and he had abandoned his house in Corifatahina. Yes, okay. so that's right along the, the Cori road there under the under the bane under the bane okay see it's, it's lovely fertile land there mm. so he probably left people to work the to land work the land uh, yeah. but live in his secluded among the trees but with with a jetty out to, to see so he could have I'm only surmising, but yeah. <laughs> but I can see it all happening. Yeah, because actually what, what's phenomenal is you've got this incredible knack of taking these songs and building them into these massive plays and action songs. That was a lot of my childhood in your singing classes in school. We used to, you used to just spin these incredible full scale productions out of a few songs that you would sew together. Yes, uh, because what's what is a song but a story, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, there's but there's so much interest interesting about this house at Corrigatechain. Bonnie Prince Charlie was there uh, as he made his way over to Elgol to escape. Really? Yes. And do you know that the Seamus that had that has the the Misty Isle boats? He is a direct descendant <laughs> of the man that 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 rode the, rode the Prince, Prince Charlie away mm-hmm, after he'd been hiding in the the Elgal Caves. <laughs> but here's a nice wee story. Okay, the 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 prince had and people well he'd already been to the Broadford Hotel and told them about Rambouille, but that's uh, about the way Bonnie Prince Charlie. Well, that's how they get the the Broadford Hotel. You yeah, not Ferragora though. No, not Ferragora. So <laughs> Bonnie Prince Charlie handed over the recipe for Rambouille in the Broadford Hotel. Yes. So he went to Ferragora's house first, and then gave the recipe. Then went to Ilgal. No, I think he would have. When when he came down from the north end, he had to 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 go via the hills. Well, there was no roads anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think he came down to Broadford around the back way, uh-huh. the, the back of the hill at Doonan. Right, okay. Came down yeah. there and the, the possibly he spent an, a night there. He got great hospitality there and also at Corrigatachain. The MacKinnon heard that the prince had arrived and this is in the book um, 
Sky the Island and its legends. MacKinnon, on being aware of this illustrious arrival, hastened to wait on the prince and to conceal him in Prince Charlie's cave. Now that's at Elgil, on the shore of Loch Scafic, beyond Elgil. There, Lady MacKinnon furnished him with a bed and food. The story goes that one of her maids came upon her carrying a newly roasted duck and a covered dish. The girl, curious, offered to carry them for her. No, no, said Lady MacKinnon, with more presence of mind than truth. I'm taking them to a wounded fox, I found. <laughs> it knows me now, but you might fright it. Do not speak of this, for if your master hears, he will kill the poor creature. The maid commented later. Then I knew it was the prince, for it was herself that was forever angry at the foxes. <laughs> So, actually, I'm looking at that now and saying, did he go to the house or not? Did she just look after him in the cave? What makes you think he went to the house? I think I just decided. Other illustrious visitors, and in fact they went there twice because they were so impressed by Mrs. McKinnon, were uh, Boswell and Johnston on mm. their tour of the Hebrides, which was not terribly long after the 45. Wait, I need, I'm confused. Where where did Miss McKinnon live? Corrigatikine. Ah, oh. she was the Mrs. Now, the funny thing is as well, why is Lord MacDonald a lord? I don't know. And MacKinnon, the important man, was just fed a choir. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, Dame Flora was Dame Flora, but the MacDonald's got to be lords. That must have been done in Edinburgh when they, when they were soaking up. Anyway, better leave that out in case all the MacDonald's don't want to, to speak to us ever again. <laughs> we can leave it in. Right, can you, so... Well, Dr Johnson and his diarist, Boswell... What's a diarist? <laughs> right, writes a diary. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> right, thought you could start again. Later in the 18th century, the illustrious visitors. Well, Dr Johnson thought he was very illustrious. I don't think he was a terribly nice man either. But anyway, <laughs> they visited the MacKinnons of Corrichatachin and they were very impressed. They had a wonderful library. The uh, older members of the family would speak in Latin so that oh, wow. the children and the servants wouldn't understand oh. them. I would mm. imagine that uh, they, they, they would have had Gaelic first, but English, Latin yeah, and quite time, often Greek. Have, I mean, they were... Yeah, multilingual. Yes, they, they, they mm. were so well educated and they had a great library and um, Mrs McKinnon served um, a dish, a kind of mutton stew, but it was salted mutton. And Johnston, who was not a very polite man, when asked how was the how was the the dinner, he said, it's only fit for hogs. And she said, well, you'll be having some more then. <laughs> Can you, Good honour. This is where the other story comes in of there being a great gathering in the, in the house that night. And the people were dancing. But you um, notice that the, the people weren't terribly happy, a lot of them, and said, uh, tell me, why are you having this gathering? They said, well, these people are all going away tomorrow. They are going off to the Americas. Wow. And that, the song that they sang was Oh really? And remember it? Yeah. 
This, I think, is the the story that the Runrig, the Macdonald brothers of Runrig, made the song, the dance, a dance called America. Called America. After that occasion in Corachatagan. Mm-hmm. So I believe. Oh well. I'd like to bring us back to Ferrochore again. And oh. maybe we can sing a wee bit of the song together. I love that last line. It's biting, yes. isn't it? And yes, even the UV, dogs the man would of Corian, with them. Yeah, the <laughs> the dogs would what? Would have nothing to do with them. No, they would eat with. He would eat with the dogs. Or oh. the dogs would eat with. <laughs> Not a charming fella. So I think with that song, though, the song itself is so descriptive in saying that he was uh, grumpy and stubborn and not all that nice. But there's another story connected to it that I want us to get into tonight, because this story is where um, it's got an incredible um, story behind it. And it's to do with the witches. Well, there I suppose there was always talk of witchcraft in the olden days mm-hmm. when there was sometimes women that were good with herbs, them good with medicines, people that were different. However, I'm not sure about this one at all. Of, I think it was maybe one ringleader and some other women that, that just followed on, if you like. Mm-hmm. So there was a time in the Strath where the Ferrochore of that time was cruel and mean and the the people were very unhappy. They were, they were probably starving. Mm-hmm. And the who started it, who knows? <laughs> but somebody and I probably an old woman of the place the kind of woman that children kept away from uh, said I can tell you how we can get rid of Ferrochore and but you must promise not to tell anybody because we are going to cast a spell on him if you like mm-hmm. And they decided to make a clay effigy of Ferrochore. Now, there were strict rules in the making of a clay effigy. (laughs) And this was all, well, it was all told, word of mouth, of course, but written down at some point. Only women could make it Mm-hmm. But there had to be one male present as a witness oh, of it, okay. of the deed being made. So maybe three or four women gathered together and got the materials and they waited for a day that there were no men in the village. I think maybe it would have been when they were taking the, um, the cows away. To market the drove. Or oh, mm-hmm. okay. And 
that's the most likely thing. Because obviously, if they did in the Strath, they weren't sea fishermen. Mm, so the, mm-hmm. it, so I think they would have been away on a drove and therefore away for several days. Oh, my goodness, they could have been going to Falkirk, for all yeah, I know. Yeah, that, yeah, um, so they gathered together. The one man left in the village was the tailor. And they went to the house of one of the women, sat the poor tailor in a corner and he had to watch as they made the effigy. It would have been clay from the river, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and um, they would have wound it round with sticks and bits of cloth. Mm -hmm. And when they they had, when it, I suppose it would have dried off and they went to a place in the river and they maybe, well, we actually went to look at the at the river not so long ago. Oh, yeah? And yes, I was trying to think, I wonder where, where they would have put it. And there's little falls in that that river, little... Uh-huh. The thing, you could have just popped it behind a stone there. Nobody would see it. So it had to go into running water. Yes. And as the water ran over the, the clay, what happens with... with oh, it'll start to disintegrate, would it? Almost as soon as the as the clay began to dissolve, Ferrochore yeah. became ill, <laughs> very, very ill. I meant to gasp at this point and not laugh. This is a great story. <laughs> well, it is. So he took to his bed. And nobody could find out what was wrong with him. They summoned, rich man of course, they summoned doctors from all over. Nobody could find it. They would have done all these old cures like leeches oh. bloodletting and... Presumably they'd sworn the tailor to silence in some way. The tailor was obviously so terrified he couldn't <laughs> open his mouth. <laughs> and... Probably the men were still away. Okay. If it was a long drove right down to Falkirk mm-hmm. with the beasts and then coming back, goodness knows it could be weeks. Wow. And however, one day the tailor couldn't bear it any longer and he had to go and, and tell somebody. So he... The poor, poor wee tailor went and t- told the minister, I take it. Yeah. Rushed to the, to the, uh, to the Taichorachatachain and said, I know what's wrong with, with him. Come with me. Well, oh no, actually, the tailor had to show him where the, where the effigy had been placed and they, they lifted it. Either they did or made the women go okay. in. Now, th- that bit I'm not clear on. So... Eventually, as the days went past, the, the the tailor was feeling so guilty about the the part he had in the in the doing. Complicit, yes. Yep. Eventually, he went and confessed, and the little bit that was left of the of the clay image was taken out of the the river and buried. Oh. Where it, uh, where it would be, where it couldn't um, dissolve anymore. Right, okay. And I suppose the, the next thing, Ferrochores. Oh gosh, I'm feeling better. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a while before he found out what had happened. There's always a clipe wherever you go. 
Somebody, somebody must have told Verachorup. I suppose maybe the minister teacher, whoever it was, that had found out. The women were arrested mm -hmm. and taken to jail. And this is when we know when it happened. See, this is what amazes me because as you're telling this story, I'm drawn into this dream world. I'm like, wow, it's such a great story. But there's there's documentation of this trial, no? No, I don't think they went to trial. I think they were jailed and... In 1735, uh -huh. which was after the the, the parliaments um, being combined, it mm -hmm. it was a UK law made it a crime for a person to claim they had magical powers or were guilty of practising witchcraft and the women were freed. That's amazing. Just in time. But who knows what do you think may have happened to them? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It doesn't really bear thinking about because I don't imagine that law coming in would have suddenly treated women better, I think, because they, they might not have been able to be tried for mm -hmm. um, witchcraft. I think they would maybe have... Outlawed? Well, they could have been sent... They probably didn't get their house back or... Mm -hmm. Who knows? They they might have been on the first ship that was passing. Yeah, and it's all supposition, isn't it? I know it's supposition. You yeah. just wonder where they allowed, or did that Ferrachada? It doesn't sound to me that they were very forgiving people. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get happy ending at the end of this story. I don't know. Well, the, the happy ending Although would the be... The happy ending that, that yeah, that, that they didn't they get tried yes, as witches. They, they, they went and if we stop the story there, it's a victory, isn't it? And then you think, what happened to them? You go, oh. Just wondered what, to, yeah. what, what would have happened to them afterwards and their poor families, their mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe the man was just so relieved that he got his health back that he just left them to it. But no, I, I think, think over the years there were probably um, the same as as anything. You don't uh, as as each generation comes, you'll get good ones and you'll get rotten eggs as <laughs> well. <laughs> but as an, another um, as lately as nineteen fifty one. The 1735 UK law made it that crime mm -hmm. and it came into being in 1736. It was repealed in 1951. What? And it was called the Fraudulent Mediums Act. But that'll be worth looking up. That's just another, by the way. Mm -hmm. what? Did you know that story about Ferrachora when I was in school then? Because it was only recently I heard that story about the witches. No, I, d I haven't. It's not a story I've always known. Mm -hmm. I've, it was something that I was looking into and then thought, oh, there's a bit more. And uh, Well, I'm amazed at how many stories are connected to that house. Yes. And I wonder, with the song, I wonder where that came in the order. Although my, my gut feeling would be that it would be later. Yes. If it's a real... Because be... of the house. We can t we can oh. we date it with the house. Okay. Which uh, the Thai and Lourdes, uh, the Liveris house, which is still standing, a lovely house. Mm -hmm. It, Curry um, Lodge it's known as, and it was built in 1790. Oh, I spent, I spent many a days in Corrie Lodge. Yes. You used to go and play there. Used to go there. and play there. Yes. Luckily, no Ferrachara around when I was there. Let's move on now to another song and another story connected to Sky, 
connected to Sky? Oh yes, it, it, yes. It, it, North Sky, Sky and Darasig, Sky and Darasig, and this is probably my favourite story and favourite song that we would sing in school, that you would sing with our class in school, and it's Colin Gunhyown. So, a lovely little song with a very gruesome story. <laughs> There's uh, various versions. The The version that, uh, that uh, I have here was from Callum McLean Razi. Well, or he recorded it. Callum McLean, Sorley McLean's brother. Yes, and the youngest he brother. took a lot of recordings from the area. Oh yes, from from Sky Rasi down the west coast and especially out in South Uist. Oh. So there was a poor woman living in a place called Achachilasik. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've been trying to work it out for the for the emphasis. Uh-huh. It is in South Morer. She was on her own with a very young child. I think it's very possible that her man was away soldiering. Mm-hmm. And she had nothing. Mm-hmm. It is, it is yeah, it's coming back to me, but I always remember this wrong. <laughs> so in the evenings, it was at the harvest time, in the evenings that she would go out and she would glean, she would pick up mm-hmm. the the oats and the landowner was a very horrible man <laughs> we seem to be meeting quite a few of them as, as, as it's written here and she was bringing up the child in terrible poverty, and it seems that the man who owned the land around the hovel that she had, where she stayed, he suspected it at harvest time that she was plucking the oats as they ripened for food for herself and the child. So he just kept watch, mm. and he caught the poor woman taking a few of the oats to to make. To, she would have ground them down to mm-hmm. to make us po- porridge. And he, said, and he leapt on her and he said, you are stealing from me. And he had a sickle in his hand and he just took the sickle to her and cut off her head. How did I get away with teaching that to small children? I love that part of the story as well. That's terrible. I love gruesome stories. But it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous and just showing that what people in power could mm-hmm. could do well. Although that was she not might, the end of the story. No, because she may have been dead, but she was not at peace. Mm. So she used to float above the hills of um, Vinyetra. The, no, Vinyetra oh. is where she came from in the first place. She was, ah, she was yes. a Crotternish girl. Okay. And That's the North Sky connection then. Yes, this is the yes. North Sky connection. So she was and from, from there originally, but she would float above she obviously and Mora then. Yes, because she, she was maybe married over okay. uh, there and this was her child. Never did find out what happened to the... Well, we never asked as children what happened to the child either. We no, just we, wanted to know about the headless we so ghost. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think it was every night, but obviously when when the weather conditions were good, she would float um, above the mountains and... Any poor creature that was walking on the road, she would just take her head and fling it down <laughs> and kill them. And the the people, the, the, they were getting a bit fed up of this. Well, <laughs> as, as you would. Well, as you would, indeed. And they said, but 
I have this picture of everybody in my hand, in, in my, a picture in my mind of um, community council <laughs> meeting that they're all sitting there around a board yeah. and saying, we have to get rid of this Colin Gunhyown. We, <laughs> we can't let this this go. So Colin Gunhyown as well, a, a body a without body a head. Body without a head, yeah. yes. And um, I heard it as one of the the heroes from Razi mm-hmm. and his friend there was Rural Machgelein Og. He was the, the local. So there were probably guys that went out sh- the hunting and shooting together. Mm-hmm. And they took over Ian Garav for from Razi. The, the Ian very Garav, the well known hero in so many yes. occasions we're, brings up uh-huh. in so many Gaelic songs. Yes, so, so we're not very sure, but there's certainly the rural Oig said that that he would go and the the young men went out and it was one of the nights that the Colin Gunhyeon was busy floating through the hills and looking out for victims and she looked down and there were these men and she took her head I think maybe a bit like Anne Boleyn she might have helped kept it under a rockster but I'm not very (laughs) sure about this one and she hurled the head down but it's okay because our hero caught it on the tip of his sword and of course, she wasn't very pleased, and she was saying, "Here, could have asked me, could have asked me, put me back, put me back." Yes, that's not not fair. And what well said, Royal and and Ian, it's not really very fair what you're doing. You're you're killing the people of Mora and Arisig. They never did anything to you, except you know, well, the, except chop her head off. No, but he was just one. Yeah, very <laughs> very bad. And the ordinary people. It wasn't their fault. No. And they would not give her back her head until she promised that she would go back to Benyetra in the north, in the north east of the sky, in Skirachrotternish. And she still sings round there, but, but she hasn't been throwing her head for the last... Possibly four hundred years, <laughs> but it she's is, at peace now. <laughs> she she is at peace now when when she she went went home. But you could understand why why she wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. When... I love that story. See, when you mention Ian Garav, mm-hmm. I want to bring the witches back in again because Ian Garav, I said, appears in many Gaelic songs and he was a warrior. Yes, he was the um, the son of MacLeod of Rasi. Mm, okay. And I would imagine a very important young man. And there would have been big families because the MacLeods, there's 
McLeod's of Sky, McLeod's well, of Drazi, McLeod's of Harris. Harris, exactly. And uh, the different branches of, of the one yes, clan. Yes, and I, th- I think McLeod Rars, I, they, they were quite important. And mm-hmm. So the story uh, goes that Ian Garav and his men, his band of men, mm-hmm. were over in Lewis at a christening. Yes, they were at a christening party and I think they partied very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Which it seems an awful thing to do at a christening party, but uh, oh, I don't know. Fair uh, play to them. Um, um, so th- they were at the christening, and then they were sailing back to Razi mm-hmm. when a uh, wind whipped up, a furious storm, and it was said that it was the most powerful witches. On the west, there was a Dochaku, she was one of them. Uh, there was one from Mull, she was really, really evil. But there was four of them. And they stirred up the storm. And the boat was getting whirled around. There's something about eggshells, isn't there? Yeah, so <laughs> I... Cannot throw eggshells away without crunching them up because I heard, and maybe it's from that story, but I heard that the witches used to um, use an eggshell and put water in it and start tipping it from side to side. And that was meant to conjure up the storm and capsize the boats. So every time I have eggs, I have to crunch up the eggshell. However... I think because these young men were so important, they unleashed their full forces and they turned into ravens. Oh, wow. And they were zooming and swirling down the boat going, ka, ka, ka. And the boat went down with all hands. And they were all drowned, weren't they? They were all drowned. Um, I've got... A book here, um, The Gaelic Otherworld, which is uh, John Gregerson Campbell's Superstitions of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland and Witchcraft and Second Sight in the Highlands and Islands, all compiled into this amazing big book by Ronald Black, edited by Ronald Black. And it has a mention of witches here. The following story is common to many places. A boatman from one of the southern islands was long detained in Lewis by adverse winds. He was courting a witch's daughter and applied to her mother for a favourable wind. He gave her a pound of tobacco and, assisted by neighbouring witches, after three days' exertion, she produced a string with three knots upon it. The first knot was called Hikgefeil, Come Gently. And when he loosened it as he left the shore, a gentle breeze sprang up. The second knot was called Chal Nashar, come better. And on its being untied, the breeze came stiffer. As he neared the harbour out, it, as he neared the harbour, he, out of curiosity, loosened the last knot. Mm. The, oh, <laughs> the name of which was Kruichas, hardship. A wind came to blow the hillocks, Shejach and Kroch, out of their places and sent the thatch of the houses into the furrows of the ploughland and the boatman the boatman was drowned. So it's Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's really sinister. And I love the way that these songs seamlessly go from a good story into truth. I mean we have dates of Ian Garov's drowning and then yes. we have that kind of Belief in superstition, very strongly held belief, but where the the truth lies, I kind of feel it just weaves in between. That's my personal feeling. Mm-hmm. But Ian Gareth's sister was absolutely distraught. Yeah, and she composed a song every Friday after his death for a year. I think it was for a year. Yeah. There's a few of them um, 
recorded now. Um, I'll sing you a wee bit of one. Smeen am hier in the ling, can make chicken at home. Rehat hook me found the drum. Oh, ye hood ya morgunai hilio. It's it is gorgeous, but it it's such a deep the the, the tune itself and the yeah. and the words Mary and they're just oh it's yeah. heartbreaking. It it's just really kind of exposing her vulnerability and just her devastation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What a cheery note to end on. <laughs> well, we've cut heads off. Yes. We've we've been involved in. Uh, We've sent, we've sent people abroad emigrating. We've had horrible landlords, <laughs> many of them. Yes. We've had drownings. Yes. We've had clay effigies. And beautiful songs. Yes. Thanks, ma'am. Oh, th- thank you. That was uh, a real pleasure and lovely to rediscover those stories and those songs and have a lot of fun with you there. I am enormously grateful to my mum, Kirstine, for sharing her knowledge on these songs and stories from the area and for the influence that she's had on my love of Gaelic songs. Over the course of the last six weeks, I have immersed myself in different people's voices from across the Gaeltach and the globe, trying to evoke some of the emotions that are conveyed in their poetry. I've had the enormous privilege of chatting with some wonderful guests who have so keenly and honestly shared their insights on these songs and their stories. We have spanned different areas that we can all relate to through female empowerment, political anguish, immigration and at the heart of it all, community. I would like to extend my most sincere thanks to all of those guests as well as the numerous people that have contributed in many other ways. If you enjoyed this episode then please do share and review it. Also check out the other episodes in this series if you haven't done so already. The background music you hear is taken from my album Urunta, which is available through my website www.deirdegriam.com as well as on the usual streaming platforms. Before I go, I'd like to extend my ever grateful thanks to Creative Scotland for supporting this project. There are countless other stories yet to be told and I look forward to you joining me again for another series of Gaelic Song Stories. Chun an Orsing, Bianach Gleiv.